This is Don't Forget the Small Stuff, and today we're talking about Rear Window. Oh, hey Chris, uh, do you own a saw? Yeah. How many people have you cut up with it? Uh, can you be more specific? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Define people? <laughs> Welcome to Don't Forget the Small Stuff, the podcast that celebrates the overlooked and forgotten little moments in films. I'm Jess, and with me today is my oldest friend, Andy. And best friend? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, and my oldest friend, Chris. Well, but not best friend. <laughs> All right, now I'm feeling awkward. You can find us online at smallstuffcast.com. We are at smallstuffcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can contact us using email at smallstuffcast.com. Our music is by Skeleton King. You can find more of Skeleton King's work by following the link in the show notes. Okay, chaps, rear window. I'm nervous and excited about this in equal measure, uh, partly because, uh, Chris, I know you and I kind of have watched rear window sort of, for I don't know, historically 30 years or something. We've been friends for, for yes. that long. Um, but Andy, I believe this might, was this the first time you've seen it? Mm-hmm. I've so, watched it twice in the last week. So yeah. I am quite nervous about how how you feel about this film um, because I need to say on the record, I love this film. After watching it again this time, it's in my top 10. I love it. I have a really strong affection for it, but I, I'm nervous about what you think, Andy. I'll put, some, put this into a little bit of context. I love... Simple. I'm going to use the word simple film. I don't mean simple from a a, a plot perspective. Um, I, I like slower paced movies. I like um, movies with limited locations, like Phone Booth, for example. Mm-hmm. Love that sort of stuff. Love watching plays that only have one set, for example. And I've got a strong interest in photography. And I like Hitchcock movies. Yeah, I, I was quite confident I would enjoy this a lot. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's all right. I mean, that's the most asinine thing to say about this film. It's all right. I think it's okay. I just it didn't live up to the hype for me. Just so, didn't. No. Fair enough. Didn't do it for you. Okay. No. Well, as you said before we started recording, luckily this is not a review podcast. No. So we're can okay. I say why? Yeah. I think it's important. I, I maybe it's just been hyped up too much for me, and not from you guys, right? So you know, I read some some stuff about it and people were it's very well regarded it's very well reviewed and it's critically acclaimed all these sort of things but for me it it's actually more interesting than good i think that the way it's filmed is excellent the 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 premise is really interesting especially nowadays when you know this sort of film would i wouldn't say maybe not get made but it would be certainly tonally different yeah you couldn't really do it i don't think um well it was actually remade Oh, it was Christopher Reeve, right? Years. Christopher Reeve. Yeah. There's, a, there's a version with Christopher Reeve, and I think he's actually post-accident. Yeah. So he's actually, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just, I didn't, didn't really hit the mystery thriller spot for me, to be honest, because mm. it was like, oh, I think this guy's done it. Oh yeah, he has. Mm. Thanks. Mm. That's not the point. I get it. Uh, the, the the stuff around the outside of this is far more interesting than the actual plot. Um, but there we are. I'll stop talking. <laughs> Chris. I, I think so. Rewatching this movie and having 
you know, watching with a little finer eye, getting ready for the podcast, taking notes. I, I, I love this movie. And then rewatching, I was blown away. Hmm. This, I think I'm like you, Jess, like this might have to go into my top 10. This is, there's things in this movie that I'm like, is this the best this has ever been done in film? Hmm. Like the level of storytelling going on here, how we're getting multiple stories of characters that don't even really speak. Yeah. It's just astonishing. Um, I'm going to get to this later on, but uh, I don't, I, I can't think there's a better example of a movie use of ambient noise. I was okay. just enthralled with the sound in this movie. Um, we'll talk about that later, but just, just blown away watching it. I, this movie's incredible. I, uh, I loved everything about it, watching it to prepare. I do have one criticism though, and it's an unfair criticism because I believe when you watch older movies, you have to watch it through the lens of when it was made. Um, you guys probably approached this a little bit when you were talking about Greece. Yeah. Um, there is zero diversity in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be white to be on screen apparently. So, um, you know, obviously that's a reflection of the time, but, uh, it just stood out to me. I just noticed it that, yeah, I think it's it's that and a, a number of other things. There's lots of assumptions about um, what a woman would do uh, if you're going away. You would take your your jewelry and your perfume and and all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah, it's it, it is. I was thinking how to verbalize this the other day. Um, it's I don't know which way round is the least of um, uh, kind of mean to the mean spirited to the film. It's it's dated but it's not aged i think is what i would come up with you know like you you can tell exactly the time it was made in and it, it is a product of its time but personally i don't feel it's aged poorly or aged right. too much as long as you are willing to accept the the boundaries within which it was made i think probably yeah good so i also wanted to say that the other thing we did uh, my family was that we played the rear window board game couple of nights oh, ago did. yeah my i was given it for my birthday uh and yeah so we played it and i know you own it chris yeah uh, I, we all loved it maddie especially yeah. was just like this is really fun so we played two games back to back we really enjoyed it um so next time we're at meet for gaming andy i'm gonna bring it along it's really fun okay look forward to that yeah i don't think you do look forward to it andy <laughs> <laughs> hey listen I fully acknowledge everything you say about this, right? And it is incredibly well made. I just didn't find it that interesting. I think what is what you said is is fair enough, though. You know, in terms of uh, a murder mystery, if that's the way you come at this, thinking it's um, it's a whodunit type stuff, it's it's not really yeah, end and, up being that. You know, it's, that, it's that's a... that's my naivety on this. You know, I I came in with this sort of you know I've watched not all of Hitchcock's stuff but i've seen all the big ones mm. um and there is that intrigue to the end yeah who's this what's happening and i was surprised that there wasn't a twist or something mm -hmm. yeah. um but and that's, that's again that's really reductive and i don't mean to be um coarsely or overly critical but well, from, it, just yeah. from a talk storytelling perspective the, the, I actually have a great example that can I, I have a similar experience with a different movie the first mm -hmm. time i ever saw the fugitive i didn't like it Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it because it was marketed as this 
fast-paced action movie. I thought it was going to be like a Schwarzenegger, mm -hmm. Stallone type of movie. And it's much more thoughtful and paced. And so the first time I saw it, I was like, that was kind of boring. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it again. I'm like, oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you go into a movie expecting something, if you don't get it, it's going to be jarring for yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and that, like I say, I came into this completely blind, really. Um, I watched the uh, the rather amusing trailer that still exists. Have you seen that? No. It's really weird. Chris, have you seen it? Uh -uh. Right, so there's a there's a trailer where it's it's James Stewart talking to the camera about how good this film is. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> Tra super weird. trailers were weird back then. Yeah, yeah, it was like 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 introducing the movie. Not it's not a trailer at all. It's, uh, it's so odd. I have seen something like that. Like they'll be like be sitting at a desk or something saying, "I'm James Stewart. Let me tell you about this new movie <laughs> it's from Paramount." It's, it's basically yeah. that. Yeah. It's I think he's yeah. you know he's sort of in character. I think he might yeah. be sat in the wheelchair. Mm. It's real weird. Um, but yeah, I, you know, as I said at the start, I really like slower paced movies. I like that kind of, kind of thoughtful, um, intrigue that, and I was the same with Fugitive, by the way, I loved Fugitive because of that. Um, but yeah, I think I was just, I just didn't know what to expect, to be honest. And, um, watching it the second time round, literally this morning, um, was far, far more enjoyable than the first time round when I was like, eh, this is, mm. but like I say. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be critical over the the, the, the things that really yeah. shine through. In yeah, this. it's no alien, right? You're not going to be critical all the way through this podcast. <laughs> ten out of ten, <laughs> movie, yeah, man. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's it is fantastically well made. I just didn't find it as interesting as I was hoping to. Chris, you know what? It reminds me of this conversation we've talked about years ago. We talked about North by Northwest, and I talked about how much I loved the the plane chasing him in the crops. Mm -hmm. And I remember you looking at me at one point and going, I just don't get it. I just don't. It didn't do it for you, did it? That that whole sequence. No. Yeah. No. Nope. Honestly, yeah. the, that movie is is one of my least favorite Hitchcock movies. Yeah. So, you know, it. I just because I'm a teacher and there's a line I use in class because I, you know, I teach a lot of kids and not everybody likes everything. That's what I say. Right. Mm. It's OK. Not everybody has to like everything. Uh, I'm just wondering whether the um, the murder in this film is it hitchcock's ultimate MacGuffin? is it pretty much irrelevant i mean i don't know if it is it's not quite a MacGuffin, but like it's not really the point of the film at the in the end is it no but without it he's just a peeping tom yeah <laughs> and that's a harder sell right yeah 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 no fair enough because it gets that what we see i mean we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah. right but when um Lisa finally gets interested. That's the bit where, you know, she's convinced that actually this is worth continuing to look for. Yeah, but yeah. she's questioning why he's doing it. And actually, Stella is questioning why he's doing it. And he's getting a bit involved. And then suddenly there's a reason that we can continue to do this. And actually, don't feel so bad. Yeah. But, you know, but I take yeah. your point. I'm, I'm going to defend Jeff just a little bit on that, though, because <laughs> there's no TV. There's no Internet. There's no smartphones. You're in a cast in a wheelchair, and like the neighborhood is literally designed so you can spy on your neighbors. <laughs> Do you not go to bed though, and, can, and just? I mean, well, there's okay. a line, right? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Let's park all that. We'll go into the small stuff. Um, Chris, you wanted to say something about the opening credits. Yeah, the question I wrote down is when did credits evolve? Because the opening credits on this are dumb. Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> the music is nonsensical. Um, 
And uh, so I just recently watched uh, one of my very favorite movies is JFK. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the opening credits on that movie are masterful. It's uh, there's this drum beat background yes. with a voiceover by Martin Sheen. And it's got this Zapruder fit footage, and it's got the the speech by uh, Eisenhower warning about the industrial mill. It's just incredible opening credit sequence. And then you watch this with this dumb music and the mm-hmm. curtains opening, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just like, when did we figure this out? Because obviously it wasn't by 1959. Or well, the answer to that is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We've already discussed that. <laughs> That's when the opening credits evolved. <laughs> I quite, I quite like the opening of the blinds. I quite because if I'm right in saying, doesn't it end with the closing of the blinds? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah. I, th- I just think um, for me, it's not so much the scene setting and the opening of the blinds. It's the music and the fact the that music. they front load the the cast and crew. I, I don't know why they did that, and you know, like some films still do it. The James Bond films still put cast and crew at the beginning. Not not all of the you know millions of people that do CG work and you know all that kind of stuff, but it's just a bit irritating. I just mm. want to watch the film now. I don't mm. I don't care who the key grip was and the the best right. boy and all that kind of stuff. No, exactly. Just so I can key into you guys though, did my movie ends like immediately? Yeah, there's just nothing done. at the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's not my version then. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking weird. forward to closing credit. What? <laughs> well. Hmm. Uh, no, I'm with you, Chris. I think the credits are the worst bit of the film. Yeah. No. No? No. Okay. Oh, good. Well, excellent. We'll get to that. I should say, actually, before we get really into the scene by scene, unlike most films that we do on this podcast where there are multiple locations and we can organise the scene list or the, the, the chronological working through the film by where they happen to be in any particular scene... That's not really possible with this because they're all in Jeff's apartment. They're all looking out into the um, the courtyard or the whatever. And so if we, I'm sort of just like apologizing ahead of time. If we jump around in the timeline a little bit by accident, I think it, you know, it's probably going to happen a little bit because we can't quite right. remember when, when mm-hmm. what neighbor was doing what action at what time during the film. So anyway, yeah. with that said, let's get on with it. I wanted to talk about how the... Um, it's a very humble neighborhood. Everyone seems to have either one or two room apartments. Uh, like Jeff's apartment is it's kitchen which is attached to his living room and a bedroom which we never see. Um Miss Miss Torso as far as I can tell her apartment is just one room. Like everything goes on in the one room in Miss Torso's apartment. I, there, I think there's a little side room. Yeah, I think there is okay. where you see her doing her hair and stuff on that. Okay, it's like done. a little... Yeah. Okay, fine. But what I was going to say was um, the musician, right at the beginning of the film, he's shaving in his living room. Mm-hmm. He's just... He's just standing in front of his mirror, shaving like in the middle of his living room with his piano behind him. I just think it's really interesting. It's just a... I don't know, different time. He's a creative type. He needs to be close to his instrument yeah you think that's yeah, what I it is so, yeah and even if it's just one room the uh, the piano that's a spectacular room i love that room yeah 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 it's it's got a clock on the mantelpiece <laughs> yes <laughs> um this is uh, this is going to be uh, a very midwestern um in america during um 
climate change, global warming. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be just unbearably hot. It's 92, which uh, I did the math is 33 mm -hmm. Celsius. Yeah. I miss hot. Uh, yeah, I'm not making if I, I'm not making a fuss when it gets to 92. I'll just say that. Well, but you you also have air conditioning in your house, Chris. I know. If it was right. if it was 92 here, we'd be making a fuss because none of us have air conditioning. We'd be making a fuss if it was 26 degrees yeah, here. But uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it hit 40 up here last year. Mm. None of us have air conditioning. We were riotously fussy. It's hot. I'm not saying it's not hot. You're not sleeping on. You're not putting your mattress on your deck and sleeping outside at, at no. 33, no. 92. I mean, by the way, it's like 92 the first time they. Sh the other time they show the thermometer, it's like 76. So no, but that's that's at the end of the film, right? When yeah. when it's like oh the heat the heat the heat wave is broken, so everything's fine. So his his editor calls him, uh, and then like that's when we sort of finally get the what would it be like the exposition of the 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 explanation of what's going on in this film he gets a call from his editor so we learn that he broke his leg taking a photograph of a motor racing crash right yeah, and we I'm see looking forward to this and we see the crash mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no way he only walks away with a broken leg the car is cartwheeling straight at him <laughs> well, we see his camera destroyed. Yeah, so many things wrong with it. I don't. And here's the point: I don't care. It doesn't matter. But why? Why make it so ludicrous? Why make it so people like me can say, "I don't believe that"? All he had to do was fall off a ladder or something. Mm. Why does it have to be like such a heroic? Is it? Is it just for com comedy purposes? Is it just That's, for the joke of the photo? It, I mean, it's pretty funny. Isn't yeah, it? there's, it's that great. Guy, there's that guy. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's a important. Maybe they could have done it because I'll admit it didn't even occur to me. I mean, whatever. I, mm -hmm. I didn't think about it at all. But the point is, right? This is why he and Lisa mm -hmm. can't be together mm -hmm. because he stands on the racetrack and takes photographs, and she's a park. Yeah. Whatever. Park, park Avenue socialite. Park Avenue socialite. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, it's it's emphasized. Thing. Like this is a crazy wild man that is going to put himself in risky situations. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, take that on point. board. That's a fair point. I just think they could have done it in a more believable way. Hell of a photo, by the way. Which is nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. But it, but still. <laughs> I mean, he's just super dead. Well, no, but maybe the cars went, you know, went, went either side of him, and he just happened. It was just like a little a like, bit of shrapnel just, got his leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. The nice thing is, I mentioned the board game earlier. Um, the rule rule book to the board game is that is that fantastic. Photo. Good. Yeah. Oh, they're, okay. they're really leaning into that. Yeah. The other bit I want to mention before we move forward is mm. I think the literal worst part of this movie, <laughs> and again, I don't think it needs to be there, is that dumb helicopter. Oh yeah, yeah. What yeah. is that? Why? So it's obviously the helicopter is watching the bathing beauties on the the top of the yeah. the roof right that's i think it does kind of tie in with um the phone call he's having at the time i think like a lot of the stuff happening with his neighbors are kind of in parallel to the phone call he's he's got having with his editor you know he talks about um wives in mm -hmm. my neighborhood wives still nag and we yep. see thorwald and his mm -hmm. wife 
Yeah, you just see me. Rushing home to a hot apartment to listen to the automatic laundry and the electric dishwasher and the garbage disposal and the nagging wife. Jeff, wives don't nag anymore. They discuss. That's so. That's so. Well, maybe in the high rent district they discuss. In my neighborhood, they still nag. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's part of it is that. Like he's spying on his neighbors and stuff but the helicopter was not necessary was it really it looks terrible yeah it's done badly as well i mean hold it this this yeah. is an old film right yeah. but man yeah I, I did not like that it was stupid yeah the scale's all wrong it's just all wrong and right? it moves like bizarrely like <laughs> it's funny because you read stories about how fastidious hitchcock was about everything mm. right and then there's some dumb special effects for no real reason so I think it's about that time. Yes, um, Stella arrives and um, she starts. I like Stella, right? She's whatever she is. What is she? The um, insurance company nurse. So she's obviously hired to go every day, like make sure he's all right, takes his temperature and all that stuff. Uh, they're having a conversation about um, him and Lisa. And she says something about how Lisa's a wonderful young woman and you're a reasonably something young man. Is he? Is he? Is he a young man? I think he's like forty-two. When I mean, he's this, got huh? grey hair. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm. You know, I've got grey hair as well. We all do, but I, he's not a young man. He's not as young as Lisa. No. Younger than her, though. Younger than Stella. Yeah, but but actually, I bet she wasn't. I mean, I haven't got the. Actually, it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, we talked about. Uh, North by Northwest a minute ago, um, the woman that plays Cary Grant's mum in North by Northwest is older than Cary Grant at the time of film, filming. I know we've mentioned that before on the podcast, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, just real quick, I didn't put this on the notes, but I just wanted to point out because uh, my version that I was watching had like pop-up notes on the side. That's irritating. The actress that plays Stella, um, the the most nominations ever for Best Supporting Actress. What? Six. And oh for six, she never won one. Was she nominated for this? Yeah. Huh. Oh, I, I actually I don't know that for sure. I think so. Okay. Mm. The newlywed couple arrive in the apartment just next door. What's going on there? Have they just have they are they are they moving in, or are they yeah. on their honeymoon? I read it as they're moving in. Okay, so this is basically their first because they go back apartment out, together, and then he carries her back across the threshold. Yeah. Once the super's gone, they kind of yeah, he insists. Yeah, all right, that's fine. I I just wanted like I was wondering whether it was like a hotel almost and like Airbnb. But, yeah, like <laughs> but no, it makes sense. It's like they're renting this apartment. They're a newly married couple. They're not allowed. They weren't allowed to live together until then. Quite yeah. Okay. But there's a point I wanted to make, and it yeah. goes in lean, leans into what Chris mentioned earlier. The audio, uh, it's the first time I actually noticed it. Um, the audio is incredible. There's, it's almost all of it is is incidental, uh, environmental sounds, either from someone's radio or the the dude playing the piano or someone singing. Um, more often than not, it ties into something that's happening on screen as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see it here because that's Amore is playing and we see the newlyweds for the first time. Uh, and that, uh, only because I knew that tune, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense because it's, and it keyed me into what they're trying to do with the, with the 
with the audio and it's fantastic and it's always that kind of it's not scored is it it always sounds like it's got a source within the the scene somewhere or yeah. somewhere off to the side there's a word for it i, I was begins with I think it's called ambient noise yeah something there's a there's a specific word for having non-scored it doesn't matter someone can look it up someone smarter than i would know what that is but um yeah that's the first time i noticed it is bro moving on in the the film again trying to keep track of what happens when um this is the first time we meet lisa she shows up so the first thing I just, I, I just have to talk about Grace Kelly. Yep, please do. She's my all-time crush. Nice. And uh, I had a fascinating conversation about her with my wife last night, and uh, I'd love to get your your uh, your take on this. She's like, there just aren't women like Grace Kelly in movies anymore. She's so elegant. The word she used was elegant. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to think of like, when's the last time you saw? a movie star in a movie that had the elegance of Grace Kelly. She suggested maybe Julia Roberts in Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what uh, immediately sprung to my mind as well. Yeah, but um, we don't present female characters or film women this way anymore. And I just, uh, like I said, she's my all-time crush. I love Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm slightly nervous that this is, is going to become a Grace Kelly. We're going to do with this what we did with Andy Garcia and The Untouchables and um, Christy Brinkley for National Lampoon's Vacation. But um, yeah, I think it's slightly unfair, Chris, because you're basically saying when was the last time you saw someone who's as uh, sophisticated as the most sophisticated person that there's ever been? Right. (laughs) So I, you know, and uh, elegant and, you know, all of the things you just said, um, so I think the answer is no, you don't get that anymore. But that's because it's a, it's an unattainable goal, potentially, you know? Kind of like um, when you master a backhanded spit wipe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There are none after Jaws. 1978's the last <laughs> yeah. backhanded spit wipe put to film. So um, besides just me going on and on about Grace Kelly the whole time. I did have some other things about this scene that I did want to talk about. First of all, I'm not breaking any new ground when when I say Hitchcock famously struggles with women in his movies. Um, and women in this movie, he he uses the word nags. Mm. Uh, it the the editor says something about like you know women don't nag anymore he's like well they do in my neighborhood yeah and there's almost I, I wish they hadn't done it this way um because there's almost this misogynistic idea that like well I mean she was kind of asking to be murdered <laughs> <laughs> um this horrible shrew yeah and you know. I wish they would have just went with the route of, no, he's an awful guy. He murdered his wife because he found another woman. Yeah. And don't have her be like, well, and she was a burden too. Mm. Um, but then Lisa comes in and, you know, I love Grace Kelly, but she's nagging Jeff. Like she's all over him about change your life. And I'm like, I don't know. I I just think it it's not a good look. And I wish women were portrayed a little bit differently in this movie. I think... I kind of, I don't know, I think I agree and disagree because I think you're right about the, in general, the 
especially Thorwald's wife, but and maybe the the woman that lives downstairs, the one that, that does the art and, you know, and stuff like that. But I think Stella is portrayed. She's a strong woman. I think Lisa proves to be strong, capable. Um, and I don't know if Lisa is particularly nagging. She she wants Jeff to get a job so that she could be close to him, right? Like you could yeah. be a portrait photographer or something. If anything, I would say Jeff is more naggy of Lisa than the other way around. Cause- I don't know. I mean, I, he spends a, she spends a lot of time telling him to change. Mm-hmm. And and he doesn't tell her to change. I mean, his, his reaction is this is the way it is. Yeah. Right? Which we'll get to at the very end of the movie, I think. Hitchcock reaffirms Jeff's position at the end. Okay. Uh, I'll give you another oh, example too, of women coming off kind of naggy. Um, and this, this jumps ahead, but I think this is okay to do it here. Um, the, the newlyweds, the husband eventually. Oh yeah. It's tired of having sex with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently he also quit his job. Yeah. So if you had quit, if I knew you were going to quit your job, we wouldn't have got married. So I don't know. He, he's at fault there as well. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Um, and then the only other thing I was to mention then, uh, this is kind of a blink and you miss it moment. Um, this is Hitchcock. Make, uh, people probably know Hitchcock appears in all of his movies and he's in the piano player's apartment fixing the clock. Yeah. Is he fixing it or winding it? Yeah, I think he's just he's setting it to the right time or whatever. He's, yeah. Yeah. he's tinkering. Yeah. Well, you're pulling faces. Well, I... I... Who needs a clock winder? No, I think he's just he's just a, a mate of the of the composer and just happens to be sorting his clock out. I think it's all right. There's yeah. a guy in Buckingham Palace whose job it is to wind the clocks. This guy's only got one. Buckingham Palace has got like three thousand yeah. or something. Because I, he's clearly you know he's a social guy. The composer. He's got lots of friends. He just happened to be entertaining. Come check out my clock. Yeah. I think uh, Hitchcock, well, the telegraphs his cameo there, then, doesn't he? He seems to stare at the camera for like a second for no reason. It's really yeah. weird. It's fa- it's fairly unsubtle cameo, I would say. I don't know. But I I agree. It is a blink and you miss it moment. But um, which, by the way, we will probably think about introducing as a new category at some point. I think that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what did I want to say about this? So. Oh yeah, it's along this around this time that we get the whole sequence where Miss Lonely Hearts, um, what does she do? She basically play acts having a a gentleman caller, uh, and then breaks down in tears. So it starts off as quite amusing. I mean, Jeff certainly finds it quite amusing, but then actually ends up being pretty tragic. And she's a she's such a tragic figure, Miss Lonely Hearts. I think Jeff. It's funny, you see that kind of amusing kind of smile sneer yeah. at the start. And actually, at the, at the end, he looks really forlorn, doesn't mm. he, for yeah. her? Which is quite nicely done, I think. Yeah. Right, can I just reiterate Chris's point? Um, Grace Kelly, I, the point that there's that close crop shot where she's kind of whispering sweet nothings into his ear and then mm-hmm. they're kissing and stuff. That that sort of thing just doesn't get put to film anymore. It's smoking hot. It's incredibly sexy mm. without really doing anything. You know, she's whispering mm-hmm. to him and he's kind of, you know, 
not being standoffish, but he's he's obviously just enjoying the moment without committing to the things that she's trying to get him to do or yeah. agree with and stuff like that. But she's incredibly sexual there, isn't it? That, yeah. the, the tension there is immense. I was, um, yeah. I, it's funny, I never really considered Grace Kelly attractive. That sounds a ludicrous thing to say. <laughs> right? it's ludicrous. It's just never, I've never thought, oh, you know what, I see that now. Yeah. And this, uh, yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, piqued my interest. She's uh, she's incredible in this film. She looks stunning all the time. Going back to what you said, Chris, about um, Hitchcock and his women, he's clearly absolutely besotted by Grace Kelly, the the filmmaker himself, completely right. besotted by Grace Kelly. I mean, because it, basically towards the end of the film, it, she becomes it's her film. Jeff yeah. is secondary at this point, and at the end, the closing song. Is some guy singing Lisa? Yeah. So um, I think maybe, I don't know, I haven't seen enough Hitchcock films to kind of um, to say anything sensible about this other than, I don't know if he did it with all of his women, but he just is, he is obsessed by her, uh, evidently, I would yeah. say. I mean, there's, there's plenty of stories which corroborate that. And even this one, I think there was, um, I think the scene later on when she, She's staying overnight and she goes to change into a nightwear. Mm. Um, Hitchcock wanted it to be more revealing than it was and was having conversations with the, the dress designer or the, whatever they called, whatever mm. that job's called, um, to do something that made it a bit more racy. Mm. So I think, you know, it's well documented that he was slightly, uh, would step over the line okay. with, his, with female leads mm. uh, on and off screen. I wanted to briefly talk about the uh, the argument that they have. I love that Jeff keeps telling her to shut up for a minute. <laughs> That's a good argument, isn't it? It is. Well, and there's an amazing line when she says something about uh, how a, a lesser man would have told her it was all wonderful or something. Like that. And he says, "If you want to get if you want to get vicious about it, I'm very happy to accommodate you." I think it's an amazing line because it's the sort of line that I feel like. At one point in our lives, every everybody who's gotten into an argument with their spouse has wanted to say, you know, there's no need to be mean. I could be mean at this point and say vicious things to you during this argument. But I don't think you want that. I don't think either of us want that. And so for someone to verbalize it in a in a film, I think is I've, it, that line has always stuck with me because it's like, yeah, we if we wanted to in the middle of an argument, we could get mean. But don't think anybody wants that so let's not do it and her response is great her face and her kind of no i don't particularly want that you know that kind of stuff is so good um so i actually really enjoy the argument scene because i think it's real is that the scene just where he starts telling her to shut up yeah mm-hmm. yeah and she calls him rude she's like, an endless rude. vacation yeah. okay now that's your opinion you're entitled to it now let me give you my it's side. ridiculous to say that it can only be done by a special private little group of anointed people i made a simple statement a, a true statement, but I'll, I can back it up if you just shut up for a minute. But if your opinion is as rude as your manner, I don't think I care to hear it. Oh, come on, now simmer down. You, I can't fit in he, here, you can't fit in there. I mean, according to you, people should be born, live and die on the same spot. Shut up! And I also love the line which uh, you're not, not going to see me for a very long time, at least not until tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> because at the bottom of all, they, she says, you know, I'm in love with you, Jeff. I just want to be around you and i like that because as we find out later on they're a really good team 
Right. When they're not arguing about their lives. Yeah. I'm going to move on a little bit because uh, I want to talk about... So he uses... He gets Stella to get the binoculars off the shelf. And then he uses his long telephoto lens as as almost as a telescope. As a fellow photographer, Andy, you're going to possibly agree with me with this. He holds his camera wrong. Mm -hmm. It's so irritating. I just... Do a little bit of research before you play a photographer as as to how you would hold your camera. I think he does a good job putting the lens on. That's yeah, no, that, that fits good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're right. He holds it incorrectly. Yeah, he yeah. holds it. He holds the camera with his left hand and yeah. the lens with his right hand at that first scene. Is he left-handed? No, but but it doesn't matter because the shutter button's on the right. So you hold the. They're just true. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's also when when he puts the long lens on, it catches the light. It's really dirty. <laughs> that's, that's honestly. <laughs> Any photographer will know that is, you know, just the, mm, yeah. yeah just, I'm going to go off on one of my tangents, but my my boss, who is also a photographer, we we keep our lenses in uh, the storeroom at, at the studio, and um, he doesn't he doesn't keep lens caps on any of the lenses, not back lens caps, front lens caps. He doesn't put lens caps on the. Um, the body of the camera either when he puts the camera in the cupboard without a lens on drives me up the wall but it also goes to show that actually maybe it makes less less of a difference than we than we think Mm -hmm. anyway sorry photography chat over chris apologies (laughs) so just on that camera um again did some research um that lens apparently is a 400 mil lens I, i don't believe you can hold it that still oh no you probably can't but it's fine but we've got, we've literally got a category about binoculars and, yeah. and lenses, and I I don't buy the binoculars and lenses for various reasons. <laughs> we can go on to it now, or we'll do it later. We'll mind. do we'll do it later. That's fine. <laughs> Chris, what are you going to say? Well, I'm just going to say that it's a this is an audio format, the podcast, so the audience can't see Andy's face. But uh, Andy has been more stressed during this podcast. <laughs> He's made this frowning face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a. I think this has been an unhealthy experience for him so far between camera lenses and. Uh, it's just triggering me right now. <laughs> yeah. And helicopters. Yeah, well, that's a terrible part of this film. They should have removed it immediately. Mm-hmm. Andy. Or uh, Jess, do you mind if I go back real quickly and uh, just touch on something um, from day one? Of course not. Um, I, I just a fascinating decision by Hitchcock. Jeff falls asleep. Ninety-eight percent of this movie is through Jeff's eyes. Mm-hmm. We see what Jeff sees. So the decision to show us something when Jeff's asleep is fascinating to me because mm-hmm. he doesn't do it other times in the movie. Jeff falls asleep. The screen goes dark. He wakes up. Yeah. The screen comes back. But th- it shows us um, a little bit of footage, which is key because it's uh, Thorwald leaving his apartment with a woman. Yeah. Uh, why do you think he did that? It's to to keep us on, like, on our toes as the, uh, the, the audience, right? We need to not know whether there was a murderer. Okay. You know. Well, interestingly, uh, did we talk about this earlier? I literally missed this the first time. Mm. I think I was um, 
trying to remove the dog from trying to sit on me or something. Uh, <laughs> so it's only a fleeting view where we see them leave the, leave the apartment just after mm. Jeff falls to sleep. Yeah. So I didn't realise that they legitimately left or mm. someone had legitimately yeah. left. And actually, I, it didn't really make a great deal of difference to me when I was watching it. Uh, well, yeah, interestingly, you wouldn't know that because... Well, no, because I watched it again this, this morning. I was like... Okay, well, that's kind of posted it a little bit, a bit on yeah. the nose, that part. Um, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I literally didn't see it, and I thought it was, um, it didn't necessarily need to be there for me. I, I think it's just Hitchcock's way of keeping us a little bit in the dark as well. Because it gets like revealed that. anyway. Doyle uh, reveals it not long after. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I feel like I, I kind of wish it just been more consistent mm. I, get well, what he, I, I get what you're saying that's the only time right it's the only time in the film where we see something that jeff doesn't see i think it's i think there's one other time where they show us oh, actually the whole opening sequence he's asleep during so we don't see he oh. doesn't see any of that stuff but i also think they show us maybe like oh i want to say miss torso is doing something and, mm. and they show sleeping i can't remember okay. now but i do feel like there was one other so he he watches um, he watches Thorwald make a phone call, and I love the idea that he could tell that it's a long distance call just by the number he's dialing, and that's not a thing you could do anymore. We talk about this film having aged a little bit. Uh, that is a good example of that. He's able to know that the guy is dialing a long distance number just from the number he dials, and he sees it later on as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's very uh, of the time. Nothing, nothing particularly pertinent to say about it, other than you couldn't make this film today. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking the same thing at the end when Lisa's in trouble, and they're sat there hopelessly thinking, oh, "I can't do anything." What do we do? Yeah. What can, what can we do? Um, if you put that now, you'd say, "Oh, well, I'll text you, I'll ring you, whatever it is, mm. I'll call you on your mobile phone." Um, of course, none of that is. <laughs> He's just helplessly looking yeah. while his uh, his girlfriend gets assaulted. I, I was going to say maybe you could tell here in the U.S. anyway, uh, if you're dialing long distance, you'd have to dial an extra number. Um, yeah, but, but 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 even now you wouldn't like the only reason he could see it was that it was a rotary phone, right? And he's he's literally right. rotating the dial. But I guess if you rotate it five times well, instead of four or three, mm-hmm. then. And I guess what I was going to say, just to kind of back up your point. Oh, okay. That, that, um, but that's why he, that's why they have Jeff in the script say long distance because no audience is going to catch that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and probably nobody would, like, I, I, the idea that you would notice that it seems a little far fetched, but. Well, um, I noticed it. No, actually, I, I'm going to contend that because he dialed, um, he dialed the shortest. No, so he dialed one, three times. It was like three short strokes on the rotary phone. So, um, and I'm like, oh, okay, what, what's that? And then he started talking as soon as he dialed the the three ones or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, so, like, that's a weird number to dial. But then Jeff kind of confirmed that it was, it, it meant something. So yeah, okay. I, yeah. My favorite. Maybe not my favorite, but one of my favorite moments in the film is when uh, Lisa finally gets on board. She's like, she sees, what does she see? The trunk, right? She just sees mm-hmm. the trunk wrapped in rope. And she's like, 
tell me what you saw and what you think it means. I love that moment. I, I love Grace Kelly in that moment. Uh, and it's the start of, for me anyway, of them being such a good team together. You know, they're working things out together. They're, and I just love I th- that whole sequence works for me really well. Feels like that's where the intermission was, if there indeed was an intermission. Yeah, um, exactly. I was ready to go get ice cream. Yeah. Uh, speaking of intermission, we're going to take a break. Okay, we're going to move on to uh, the third day in the film, um, but we're going to skip quite far ahead until um, to where uh, Tom Doyle shows up and tries to convince Jeff that there's no case here. Chris. Yeah, so this is actually the second time Doyle appears, and uh, the only thing I put in my notes is um, it's like a blue-eye showdown. Um, (laughs) Doyle has the bluest eyes yep. except for Jeff mm-hmm. whose eyes are bluer except for Grace Kelly who has the bluest eyes of all time it's <laughs> it's almost a fetish you talk about lack of diversity in this film not only did you have to be white you have to be white with blue eyes piercing blue eyes with like incredible blue eyes yeah. too there's not bit isn't no, there where no light shades of blue here Doyle's got this kind of electric blue suit on and he's, he's having a conversation with Jeff and the light's on his eyes. And it's, it's almost ridiculous. It's almost comical how blue his <laughs> eyes are. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other things... Uh, so then, um, if you skip ahead to the next scene then where uh, when Thorwald is going through um, his now-deceased wife's handbag, yep. um, he's not wearing a wedding ring. Was he wearing a wedding ring up to that point? Had I we don't seen know. him? Well, you wouldn't, I don't would know. you? I didn't... If, if you if if you've just murdered your wife, you'd probably take the ring off. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank goodness um... I got rid of that old ball and chain. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested to go back and look and see if um, if he was wearing it earlier. I, I didn't think to go back and check, but yeah, uh, if he's. If he's if he's murdered his wife and now removed his wedding ring, that does feel a little spot on, I guess. Yeah. But um But also, you know, he's still trying to keep up the pretense that his wife is alive, right? He's made a right. postcard or he's made his mistress write a postcard from Merrittsville and pick up the trunk in his wife's name and all that kind of stuff. So you'd keep the wedding ring on, right? You'd keep up the the show. Yeah, right. And you know, uh I guess this probably goes without saying. Um, if Jeff doesn't break his leg, Thorwald gets away with this, right? Yeah, it was pretty good plan by Thorwald. Yeah, he's no dummy. No, he's no dummy. Uh, and then the other thing I want to just mention here, real quickly, is um, so this is then when they have um the big party at uh the the songwriters house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that party looked awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're Maybe. hanging around the piano. Everybody's laughing, drinks. Oh my goodness! I'm like, okay. So there's a there's two things to make, to point out about that party. One of them is that there is like when it really gets swinging, there is a couple properly making out yeah, in the yeah, window, right, like right in the really window. going yeah. for it. Yeah. 
yep. in front of not only the whole neighborhood, obviously everyone in the party as well, but a little bit before that, I don't know how long the party's been going for, but there is a woman leaning up against the piano. It's absolutely wrecked. She looks absolutely off her face drunk. So, And she's like, I don't know, middle-aged to older woman, like... Like like you would see a drunk at a bar leaning up mm-hmm. against the bar, kind of rocking and rolling and ro- like she's she's had way too much to drink. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, yeah. and she's all, she's like she's not with anyone. Like she's in between people, but she's clearly at the party solo. She's just gone for a a proper good lash. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I could see getting carried away at that party. It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't. He, has, he struggles to write a song. He knows how to throw a party. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. I wanted to talk about, because Lisa then shows up and they talk about the the handbag and the jewelry and she's going on a trip. And Lisa starts talking about how if you're going anywhere, you're going to take your makeup and your perfume and your jewelry. Mm-hmm. I know we touched on this earlier. Uh, like basic stuff, Jeff asks her. That's just like, you know, that's basic knowledge, right? She's like, yeah, of course it is. So again, it was a different time. <laughs> your favorite handbag is on your, your bed post yeah. or whatever. Is yeah, it? yeah. But it's another good example of why they're a good team. Mm-hmm. Their their skills mesh nicely. Uh, anything else from? Um, oh, oh my god! They have the brandy. And and do they have the brandy? Oh, <laughs> the brandy. There's a lot of brandy swirling going on. Mm-hmm. So she's warming the brandy. Yeah, I assume with her hands she's kind of cupping it and swirling it. You think that's what warming the brandy means? I don't know. Don't you warm? I don't know. I assumed it because it was in the kitchen. You're warming the brandy like over a, an open flame or something. I've got no idea. <laughs> the only time I've warmed brandy like that is at Christmas when yeah. I want to set fire to it. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's the thing. <laughs> no, I think she, brandy she, drinkers to warm the brandy. She put it between her thighs. Andy, that would also work probably. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but so there are there are large dosages of brandy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dosage, and I think it's, is it the same one? Is it the same scene again? We touched on this; it's a bit confusing. But Doyle drinks the brandy mm-hmm. and pours himself another one. I don't think it's the same no, scene it's not because quite the same it, one. because he's he's got a proper brandy cup. But yeah, yeah, he does it in a previous scene where he pours himself a brandy before he goes. There's like three inches, four inches of brandy in his cup. Well, you know, I mentioned the drunk woman at the party. Miss Lonely Hearts, before she goes out, she takes a huge swig of whatever brown liquor she's got in the bottle in her kitchen. So is this the movie of casual drinking? People didn't mess about back in those days. If you drink, you drink. Yeah. I just love the... That whole conversation when Doyle's there and Lisa's there and they're discussing things, all three of them just are swir- just swirling the brandy in their yeah. glass constantly. There's a constant kind of rhythmical kind of wiggling I, going on. It's I, amazing. I don't think you can have brandy in a glass like that and not swirl. And not swirl it? I yeah. don't think it's possible. Yeah. It's like licking your lips when you're eating a donut. I don't think you can do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's amazing. They should have competitions. Can you drink this brandy without swirling? I bet, I bet it's impossible. <laughs> I bet it's impossible. I'm going to buy you one for Christmas, like one of those 
those glasses. Of a snifter? Are they called a snifter? Yeah, they, yeah. he did say, because he I'm spills not, it, doesn't he? Yeah. He says, I'm not a good I don't snifter. get that line. I don't, I don't get that moment when he... I mean, obviously, there's a bit of tension in the room. They, they are cross with him for, like, raining on their murder parade. Uh, but, like, and Lisa goes to the other side of the room, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess I better be going. And then he tries to down it, and he spills it all over him. Well, what's the point of that scene? And it never was much of a snifter, he says. Mm. Okay. Do you think that was ad libbed, or was it comedic, or I don't know? It's not funny. No. No. There, there is um, some evidence, Andy, that it's ad libbed because, again, my movie I was watching had notes, uh, and they point out that he doesn't have brandy spilled on him when he leaves the apartment. Mm -hmm. Which is like that's what I was thinking. Whether it it was not intentional, and he just pulled a line out of the ether to cover himself. I've got one more thing to say about this conversation with Tom Doyle. He t- he talks about, you know, have you ever owned a saw? Or, um, and how many people have you cut up with it? And then he says, or the couple of hundred knives you've probably owned in your life. What about the knife and the saw? Did you ever own a saw? What? At home in the garage, I had... How many people did you cut up with? All of the couple of hundred knives you probably own in your lifetime. <laughs> 200 knives how honestly cheese how knife. many knives cheese knives fish knives butter knives kitchen knives two bread knives yeah yeah okay so what like that's that that's 40 50 maybe maybe you i mean it's a lot isn't yeah. it yeah 200 knives you've probably owned in your lifetime okay. and yeah. and he's a traveling photographer yeah, who's not a home he's probably got much. one knife yeah yeah like a Swiss Army knife, and that's it. <laughs> a couple of hundred, couple of hundred knives. Just have a think about how many knives you might have owned. It's not two hundred. Two hundred is it? It's not two hundred. No, I couldn't say that for sure. Yeah, you. Could. Hey guys, I want to jump back real quickly yeah. before Doyle arrives in yeah. that scene. So uh, here's my note. Right. So throughout the whole movie, Lisa's been overtly coming on to Jeff. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of plays it cool, even though it's Grace Kelly. And he doesn't seem to get excited or turned on by her until she comes up with a theory. And in the moment when she comes up with a the theory, then he's like, oh. <laughs> and I have in my notes, in all caps, it's Grace freaking Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This is the moment that turns you on. Because <laughs> she comes up with a theory about a handbag. Mm. I don't know. Well, I don't know what to say. I, okay, so I think that leans into Jeff's uh, perception of their relationship. And, you know, throughout the whole first half of this film, he's talking about how it's not going to last, it's not going to work, it's troubled. Uh, you know, he's constantly making snipes and barbs. No wonder he's having so much trouble with his his music, you know, when she says it could be written just for us, that kind of stuff. So he's he's basically decided he's going to break up with her, right? So in his head, there is, you know, there's nothing. There's no future. But then he starts seeing this other side of her, this other adventurous, like, like, act, like I keep saying, like they're a good team. He He sees that they can be a good team, that they... They do have something 
connection, something in common, something that they can, I don't know, be together. Um, anyway, that's my take on it. I might be way off, but, you know, I talked about how the murder is is one of Hitchcock's, potentially one of Hitchcock's MacGuffins, and it's really right. a film about their relationship. Uh, and I think that's connected to that, isn't it? Like, he... When so, she comes back, sorry, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but when she comes back from going to Thorwald's apartment and he's like, what was his reaction when he saw the note? Like, Jeff is absolutely enraptured by her. He's just, his face at that moment is like, oh my God, she's the best thing I've ever seen. Um, so it just backs up kind of that point, I think. I uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Barbie movie or not. No. Um, there is a, a line where the narrator says, uh, if that's the point you're trying to make, don't hire Margot Robbie to be your actress. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'll, I would say if this is the point you're trying to make, then don't hire Grace freaking Kelly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Point no, well, it's a fair, it's a fair point, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Good. Uh, Chris, you wanted to say something about the sequence. Uh, or maybe you've already done it. Uh, but when... Um, it's it's after Doyle leaves um, and they're sort of a bit kind of downhearted, uh, but then the dog dies and it, around that time. You wanted to say something about yeah. that? Just that um, this is probably the... I, I get why they put it in because they're trying to raise tension and stuff, but this is part of the movie that, I've, that I find actually to be the least believable. Um, there's no way he's killing a dog. Like, that's... Like every window in that neighborhood looks out on that courtyard. Mm. Burying something under those roses, killing the dog in the middle of that, like that's, that is mm. asking to be caught. Yeah. It's the, it's the least believable bit potentially. Cause you know, are you, are we assuming that the thing that was buried under the roses was Mrs. Thorwald's head? Is that what we're meant to believe? Something was buried under the roses. That's what I've always yeah. thought, because he could it, cut it up. Because it's in a hat box mm-hmm. in the apartment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Are you doing that in front of everybody? Burying just, your wife's head under the roses? No, because we've seen earlier on when we get a few shots of the time, I think when, when Jeff's falling asleep and waking mm. up, you know, this activity there, like seemingly 24 hours a day, Oh my god! They were getting home right. at like, like three, three in the morning, <laughs> and there's people walking down the street. Yeah, and there's you know the folks. I, yeah, it's a fair point. Damn. Yeah, I'll move on. I want to talk about. Um... <laughs> so we're skipping way ahead now because we're talking about the scene where Jeff is calling Doyle. Oh, Doyle calls back after Jeff left a message with the babysitter. Doyle calls back and. Um, he starts telling him about the wedding ring and all that kind of stuff. And um, he, he starts talking about it could be buried, uh, could be a ham bone buried under the, in the garden. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what pet names Thorwald had for his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that line. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, uh, you wanted to say something around that time as well. Yeah, why is Doyle? Why is um, Jeff whispering in that scene? Doyle, I know. Is he afraid Thorwald's going to hear him across the way? And he's covering the the mic of the the phone yeah. as well, isn't he? It's really strange. Yeah. 
I, I kind of, I've noticed it because it's so, I guess, it's so noticeable and it's a really, really stupid thing to say, but you know what I mean. Um, but I've never questioned it until this exact moment. Is it because now there's danger that they could get caught? They know that Thorwald's onto them and you're, like, you're going to get caught now, potentially. You've got something to from hide. A, from a filmmaking point of view, I get why. Like, it just, it's, because like you said, you've never questioned it, mm. and it sounds tense mm. with this urgent whisper. But from a practical sense, I'm like, wait, why are you whispering? You're yeah. I think he's... Yards, well, 100 yards away anyway across a courtyard yeah, i can rationalize it by saying that he's now like thorwald knows someone's out here watching him so i need to like be extra careful and whisper okay. yeah, i mean maybe it's nonsense but that's that's how i'm rationalizing it uh, chris i'm, I'm gonna hand that. over to you now for the rest of the film because you've just got a couple of things well um yeah okay so uh, first of all um Thorwald shows up at Jeff's apartment. This is dumb, Thorwald. Like, Thorwald was going to get away with his wife's murder, right? Mm-hmm. What was his plan here? Like, he's if you kill Jeff, you are getting caught on this one. There's no doubt about it. The police know that you've been interacting. I think he was just going to see if he could... Because he said, tell me what you want, right? Like he wants to see if he right. can pay him off or bribe him. And he's already had a phone conversation with him about like, meet me at the, whatever it was, the hotel. And I, I only have a hundred and something dollars. And it's like, that's a start. So he th- he assumes he's going to to pay him off, to pay buy his silence. That's what I think. Because he says, tell me what you want. And then he just acts impulsively because he's... Yeah, now, now what do I do? Mind. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't like okay. the flashlight in his eyes. Rubs him up the wrong way. Right, I'm going to kill you. Well, that's you the then. other thing, too. The flashbulb defense, I thought, is kind of silly. I I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I was thinking what I would do in a similar situation. I mean, he, he may as well have just thrown it at his head and hope for the best. Right. Right. Because... <laughs> It's fine like nowadays. If you had a flash gun and you could even even now, you you know, you'd struggle to fire it off more than three or four times in that. If he made a go for you, it's a bit silly, isn't it? Why does he want his um, wife's wedding ring back? Is it to sell it? No, it's to it's the evidence, isn't it? Evidence, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, I I just also like the fact that it works, right? Like that it, Thorwell, just charge at him. Exactly. He's a guy in a wheelchair. like. But, well, okay, first of all, I'm assuming Thorwald doesn't know he's in a wheelchair until he gets right up on him because the room's dark. Like, you're not expecting okay. the guy to be in a wheelchair. So okay. that's that's my first thought on that. Um, and also, you're not expecting there to, because it's dark, you're not expecting there to be pops of flash. Thorwald doesn't know what that is. I mean, he figures it out, obviously, but... So I can imagine for the first one or two, it would catch you off guard. You you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to see. I mean, I think they do for the time. They do mm. quite a good job of showing, like the visual repercussions of that kind of flash, especially in such a dark place. Because remember, Thorwald turned the light off in the hallway, so he hasn't even been looking at light in the hallway. So his 
pupils are okay. dilated and so that flash would have a massive impact on you visually um in fact i think that visual impact would last longer than they show in the film but i also mm. agree why wouldn't you just kind of rush at him anyway just do it once and then yeah. throw his face yeah <laughs> But even then, he's supposed to going to do bounce off. He's going to, ow, yeah. and then he's going to kill you anyway. Okay. All right. So I, I do have a few more things to do here, to talk about here. Yeah. Um, the the fall, it's dumb. It looks dumb. It looks bad. As bad as the helicopter? Uh, no, I, nothing as bad as the helicopter. <laughs> oh, I think it's worse than the helicopter. Um, I I get why they, the whole joke of he has two broken legs Yeah. Um, is fine. And then... Um, at the end, they show um, Lisa reading that book. Mm-hmm. And the implication is, oh, they are going to make it, right? She's studying up on the Himalayas. Like, she's going to go on adventures with them. But then she puts it down. Yep. And she picks up Bizarre. fashion mag instead. I'm like, why? No, no. I half expected her to be on the cover of Bizarre magazine. <laughs> so, what, the relationship is continuing and she's lying out lying to Jeff. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, like, basically, like, Jeff's right. You're not going to make it. This mm. is horrible. And and you know what's going to happen, Andy? Next time they're on a racetrack together taking photos, mm. she's going to be the one that gets killed. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. And you are particularly mm-hmm. upset about that, Chris, I can tell. Well, I disgrace Kelly. Yeah. Grace freaking um, Kelly. Grace freaking Kelly, exactly. Yeah. So then my last thing here then, and we can wrap up this part of the mm. podcast, I guess, is um, Thorwell confesses everything at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have that little yeah. bit at the end where like he's showing us where the body is and he's, yeah. no, keep your mouth shut. You're getting, he's, guys, he's still getting away with it if he keeps his mouth shut. They don't have a body. They don't have a murder weapon. All they have is hearsay evidence, and all the evidence from his apartment is going to be inadmissible in court because they got it illegally. Um, his wife's head in a hat box? Is that Do they inadmissible? Have it? It's in a hat box in the apartment. Yeah, but only because they only know, well, I suppose. I mean, they'd search his that. apartment, they right? Would, yeah. They would definitely search his apartment at this point because he's tried to kill Jeff. And Jeff will say, well, I'll tell you why he's tried to kill me because. And Doyle knows all this as well. So his apartment is getting searched. Hundred percent. I I don't know. I'm still I'm. Still, I'm not saying I'm not saying he wouldn't. I'm not saying he wouldn't get off like on some kind of technicality or something. But he's they're finding his wife's head in the hat box. It's they're going. It's to in be. the apartment. Yeah. So uh, that might okay. That that might. But he does. That might. Then he does tell that them that. Point. Yeah, he does tell them that. But also, I still think that his apartment's getting searched because. Uh, why did he try to kill you, Jeff? Oh, well, I'll tell you why he tried to kill me. Because I found out he killed his wife. And I th- and here's what I think he did. Uh, and Doyle, I mean, Doyle's on board at this point, right? Doyle is like, yeah. right. And so Doyle will, will like, get the warrant to search Thorwald's apartment. You're probably right. It doesn't, yeah. but it's still the move. Yeah. You're, you're certainly going to jail now. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. before, right? Just yeah. I mean, get a jail. get a lawyer, but he doesn't have much money, so um, got a hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> he does say that. Yeah, all right. Well, all right. Well, we will. All... Yeah, you okay? You good? I'm good. Okay. 
we will take a break. Okay, we're going to move on to the categories, starting with the quick hits. And I don't think I've ever been more excited about a category than the quick hits today. Because <laughs> in a triumphant moment, there were binoculars used in this film and they were depicted correctly with mm-hmm. a single oval shape, not two oval shapes. And it is a triumphant moment. Yep. Uh, although you're not happy with the level of stabilization in these binoculars and the no, camera. No, I don't understand. So the, the, I'm going to... A bundle in the camera lens with this. I don't believe you can hold any binoculars at that zoom that steady. The camera, the same. Massive prime lens, it seems. Yeah. You know, non-zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems to have magic autofocus, right? So when <laughs> Mrs. Lonely Hearts walks to the restaurant across the way, somehow he manages to track her and the focus. Um, which <laughs> I is... guarantee back then they didn't have autofocus. No, no, I say, you yeah. know... Um, ironically, on purpose here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just. But to be honest, who wants to watch a movie where the the main character struggling to find the focus? Yeah, damn it, I can't focus. Well, yeah. actually, you could build that in, but yeah. and also the zoom length changes seemingly randomly between them. Um, sometimes the binoculars are really close. Sometimes the camera lenses are really close. Sometimes not. Okay, but please don't rain on the binoculars parade that they were depicted but correctly. They do use a single. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not like the stupid double, uh, yeah. double, yeah. And even more triumphantly, there was a backhanded spit wipe. Oh, hold it. Was there? Yes. There is a backhanded spit wipe in this film. Do I need to watch this whole thing again? Uh huh. Yeah, there is one. And did it's. If you, you timestamped it, I did. It's right towards the end. Lisa is being accosted by Thorwald in his apartment. <laughs> And Jeff is beside himself. And at one point, he rubs the back of his hand across <laughs> his mouth. I Honestly, I don't know if I've ever Did been this happy. It's a good one. It's really good. Well, because that whole scene is so good. And I've seen... Um, so I think it was on a, a show about acting or something. Uh, I remember they referenced this whole scene uh, as a, like an acting masterclass where... Um, Jimmy Stewart's acting at that point because there is nothing he can do about what's happening over in Thor's apartment. Right? Mm-hmm. And his mannerisms and his physical and his voice and what he says, it's all so perfect. He is so um, helplessly terrified for what's about to happen to his, uh, the woman he has fallen in love with for a second time, basically. Um and yeah, so he's like, he's rubbing the back of his neck and he's like, Stella, what do we do? And then, yeah, he 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 does a backhanded spit wipe. I can't believe you guys didn't notice it. No. I was so caught up in the drama with <laughs> Grace Kelly was in danger. Okay, so one minute, 40 and 49 seconds. There you go. One hour, 40. One hour, 40. Yeah, sorry. One hour, 40 minutes, 49 seconds. Going to go check that out later. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go back and watch it. Okay. Hey, by the way, mm-hmm. makes sense before Jaws. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When filmmakers still have the audacity to try backhand and switch spit wipes. <laughs> uh, uh, bad ways to die. There are two deaths. Well, we don't actually know how she was killed, right? True. We don't. The you know the decapitation is probably post mortem. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, otherwise that's just not being cut up and stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay, but that's pretty bad. Or you are um, strangled and your neck is broken, like the dog. So you know, pick one. Which is the worst way to die? It's got to be the murder, right? Yeah, it's probably actually. But like you said, Chris, she does kind of deserve it. She is a nag. I didn't say that. You did. I heard you say it. No. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Thorwald's wife because we do hear her scream. So it's not mm-hmm. like he yeah. quietly poisoned her mm-hmm. in her sleep or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And something gets broken because there's a scream and a crash. So there's potentially a struggle, a short struggle. Okay, Andy's hat. Got any hats? Yeah, Doyle's. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like you know. It's a, I mean, it's, there's plenty of hats because of the era. Mm-hmm. But his hat. I don't know. I don't know what the done thing is. His hat doesn't seem to suit what he's wearing, but it's the same hat both times. As what is it like tell. a trilby? I don't it's like even... a straw boater. Or oh, what? is it? Oh it's weird. Okay. Um, but Doyle's cool. I like his style, so yeah. I'm going with his kind of straw boatery hat. So Thorwald wears a hat. It's yeah. bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And then Miss Lonely Hearts wears some sort of what is head, that? black curved head. head thing. It looks like a false hairpiece. Yeah. That goes on top of her hair. <laughs> it's really odd. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You're giving it to Tom, though, huh? Yeah, he, okay. he deserves it. All right, let's visit Audio Corner. Well, so I my first note on Audio Corner, the background voices I, I wrote down... Um, I really like how they kind of dull them. Um, so like you can tell that they're coming from the other apartments and from across the street, but I wrote that note down. And then after that, I'm just like, you know what? I can't, it's the whole movie. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to pick anything out. This, the sound in every single moment of this movie is amazing to me. The, the incidental sound, the honking of the cars in the background, the music coming from the guy's apartment. Um, there's, I just heard a quote recently. Hitchcock said, uh, there's a quote from Hitchcock saying movies are, he believes movies are 50% sound. Mm. And I'm like, this movie just is the epitome of that. I, I can't pick one thing out. It's just all of it. I just love the ambient use of sound here. It's incredible. My, my notes are exactly the same. Because the the sound is natural. It's not like they're overlaying a score or anything like that. Everything that you hear is because it's in the environment and it's done so well to the point where it's not, oh, you know, here's a song or here's a noise of something. It's just super well done. So mine is exactly the same. It's just the entire audio yeah. track of the entire thing. It's just just And brilliant. it's it's happening all the time. Yeah. It's never <clears throat> not there. It's when we're watching, anyway, when we're watching the apartments, it's never not there. There's always something. And sometimes it's multiple things from multiple apartments. Mm-hmm. Or it's overlapping with what Jeff is talking about. Or, you know, it's. So I called it um, the sound design of distant happenings. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're all in agreement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's everything that's happening out in the, in the courtyard and beyond. I did. I did make a choice for the sake of the category. I'm like, well, if if, if we have to nail it down and just come up with something, mm-hmm. uh, I did point out there are two songs, Jess, that use the word Lisa. Yeah? 
There's the song at the end that you pointed out. And at the uh, songwriter's apartment, they're singing Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, of course they are. Uh, From an audio perspective, I also wanted to just reference the song that the composer is writing. Like, it's not great all the way through, but every once in a while, there's like a little piano motif that he uses repetitively. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really nice. You know, everyone kind Mm -hmm. of responds to it positively. Lisa loves it. Miss Lonely Hearts loves it. So, yeah. Well, it saves a life, I reckon. Yeah. Let's move to best looking scene. I don't have anything in here pretty much that doesn't have Grace Kelly in. So mm-hmm. anytime Grace Kelly's on screen is the best looking scene. <laughs> is that allowed as, as, as a casting winner? Fair. Yeah. yeah. No, what have you guys got? So yeah. um, this has got Grace Kelly in unsurprisingly, but it's the first time, I think it's when they sit down and drink the wine from the meal. Mm-hmm. So there's a shot with the window behind. So we've got, uh, Jeff and uh, Lisa drinking wine and she's kind of got a leg up on the, the windowsill or something and the sky is red behind mm-hmm. slightly silhouetted apartments. That's fantastic. Yep. Uh, and she's wearing an amazing outfit. Well, that was a ridiculous, redundant comment because she's always wearing wearing amazing outfits. But um, yeah, that's that was my specific one. So that's the first night, so, right? That, so yeah. um, with the sunset behind her, she's in the black and white mm-hmm. $1,100 dress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my nominees, definitely. Chris? Uh, I also, so that was a nominee, but the one that I settled on, um, the the way they shoot Lisa in Thorwald's apartment, uh, it's just so tense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he comes up the side stairs there and it just, yeah, the whole thing, I just thought, I mean, it's fitting with the motif of the whole movie of tableaus but um yeah i just that one stands out to me i just thought it it looked incredible yeah so i'm going to mention just a couple so you mentioned the sunset one uh there's also uh so jeff in his apartment has that like it's almost like a bed in the window right Mm -hmm. and there's one point she's reclining on that just kind of like i think she's wearing the green dress and she's Mm -hmm. just reclining on the side that's a great looking scene Mm -hmm. um no, one one non-Lisa best-looking scene is anytime you see the reflection of the the apartment's opposite in the binoculars or the camera lens. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's great. I think that looks really cool. Uh, but no, for me, my winner is, and I mentioned it earlier, when Lisa changes her mind and she says, tell me what you saw and what you think it means. She's standing kind of behind Jeff a little bit and he's mm-hmm. in the wheelchair, obviously. She's standing up and... Uh, I think it's tied in with how you're meant to feel in that moment as well. It's like, oh, finally, Lisa's on board with this. Yeah. Uh, but it all looks great as well. It's beautifully composed. She looks amazing. He looks cool. And I just think it works great. So that's my winner. Yep. Guys, can I ask a question about my best looking scene real quickly? Mm-hmm. Did Grace Kelly really climb through that window? Yeah. Because that looked that's dicey. Her, that's not a stunt person. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it's a pretty good move. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It'll come up. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Definitely. The Monsieur Mendel Award for our favorite incidental character. So, I have two. <laughs> One's dumb, so but I, I might like go, dumb. I, I might go with it anyway. Um, but for my first nominee is uh, the newlywed husband. <laughs> <laughs> the how quickly he gets fed up with his wife. 
It's like a like a day. <laughs> well, uh, it's what it's it's basically four days, right? But he's you know he's hanging out the window smoking. Uh, yeah. within a day, I think. <laughs> Harry, Harry. Yeah. And he said, oh, so Harry, we were assuming yeah. his name is right. Well, I guess. Yeah. Unless there's someone else in the apartment, but let's not go there. Um, <laughs> it's either that or the weirdest thing when. Um, Miss Torso's husband, boyfriend comes mm-hmm. back, Stanley, yeah. at the end. What? It's like this <laughs> kind of really short, slightly dumpy dude. But that's goes, the joke, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes straight to the refrigerator. Yeah. But what have you got to eat? <laughs> I love it. In the icebox, he says. So I think I'm going with Stanley because I like that. It's yeah. really silly. Um, yeah. And, you and doesn't she him. say something like the army's like been really good to you or something, as if he's like he's bulked up or something? I think... Maybe he's lost weight. Yeah, you don't know what yeah. he yeah. went out like. Um, but she looks impressed to see him. So yeah. Stanley gets my vote. Yeah, nice, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, poor Stanley. She's also been like either cheating or attempting to cheat on him nonstop since well, he's been gone. But she's she's cavorting with back one of those dudes at least. What does what does yeah. Jeff say? She's managed to pick the most prosperous looking guy. Yeah, or something. I my, mine's a total cheat. Uh, I'm doing the same thing with favorite incidental character that I do with sound. Mm. It's all of them. It's, it's, <laughs> I, like I said at the beginning, right? This movie, um, is just a masterful example of storytelling and the piano pl- Like these characters, does the piano player even have a name? Nope. I don't think so. Right. I, right, Miss Torso, Miss Lonely Hearts, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Thorwald. Yeah. Um, characters that are like somehow developed stories that have depth and and uh, pathos to them. Like it's just I I'm not picking one. You can't make me, Jess. I'm doing all of them. I like this. Well, I okay. Your, your answer's I'm not going, as good as Stanley. Mm, Stanley's the real answer. So yeah. I'm I'm pretty confident I've picked I've picked the one. Um, so first of all, I want to mention we see a cat right at the beginning running across the courtyard. I wish we'd seen more of the cat. Uh, the dog, he's a cute dog. The the dog going down the the basket the first time. He's got his little head up and his fluffy mm-hmm. little face. Is he is he's really cute. I think Miss Torso counts as incidental. She, she actually doesn't play a lot of a role. In the film, like you couldn't say Thorwald is incidental, you couldn't say Miss Surprisingly Logan. racy, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's... at the start, mm-hmm. Miss Torso is really, you know, he knows what he's doing, doesn't yeah. he? But I think there is a clear winner Carl, the waiter from 21. Carl was on my list, he so, doesn't do anything though, he no, just, but that's the best thing about it is that so <laughs> I love this so much. So she Sneaks into Jeff's apartment when he's sleeping. This is Lisa does. Softly kisses him. Mm. They have a little cuddle. They have a little face-to-face sexy time thing going on. He's outside the entire time. He's outside the entire And she nearly forgets about him. She's like, oh, oh, I've just, like, like quite a lot of time passes by. (laughs) While, While they're kind of talking and canoodling and this kind of stuff. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I've got dinner. And... So Carl has been standing mm. outside Jeff's apartment with this thing of um of food. And then he's super cheery, super happy. He's like, oh and then 
Jeff's struggling with the wine. He's like, let me. And he's got his, he's got his, his corkscrew in his pocket. He just takes the, does the wine. Big enough? Yeah, I'm fine. I can't think of anything more boring or tiresome than what you've been through. In the last week must let be the me, hardest. Let me, Yeah, I want to get this thing off and get moving. But I'm going to make this a week you'll never forget. This will take care of the taxi as well. Thank you, Miss Freeman. Have a pleasant dinner, Mr. Jeffries. Bye, God. Good night. And he's just... I love it. I just... He's perfect. He's so incidental. And yet, he somehow manages, for me anyway, to have this... He's patiently waiting outside there, just waiting for Lisa to open the door and say, come on in, Carl. Put it in the oven on low. I just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, he was just, and he's so cheerful and happy to do the wine and oh I just love well, him I've got, I've got two things to say about your choice Jess first mm-hmm. of all it's a it's a hall of fame incidental character movie yeah. and you've chosen the DoorDash guy mm-hmm. no, but, so. no no but no you're you guys are wrong you're missing the point completely Carl is awesome because he is just what a guy he's just standing Carl's- out there I think you're projecting a lot of stuff of onto Carl. Of course I am. Yeah. But that's the point. You know, that's but for me anyway. Here's why Carl's so happy, Jess. Um, Lisa spent 1100 bucks on that dress. Mm-hmm. What do you think she tipped Carl? Oh, uh, yeah, a lot. Enough to get the, the ride back to the hotel yeah, yeah. or the restaurant yeah. or whatever it is, yeah, she yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot. So, I mean, Carl is being... <laughs> He, he should be working, right? He should be at the restaurant, like, waiting tables or whatever he does. But instead, he's waiting outside Jeff's apartment for Lisa to remember that he's... Oh, yeah, dinner. Whoops. Carl. I Carl. Did, he was on my list, yeah, and I, I didn't look into Carl's <laughs> um, backstory quite as much as you did, apparently. Did, well, did Lisa invent uh, Deliveroo and Uber Eats and Clearly. that kind of stuff? I mean... It's, it was, it's a nice trick. It's a nice thing that she did. Carl invented Uber Eats. Mm. Other yeah. delivery services are available. Dude, what do you have? Well, I thought Carl's. I thought Carl was off. Wasn't even eligible since you, you put his name in the notes. What? Oh, I did. You're right. Yeah, Carl yeah. brings dinner. It's like four yeah. people's names in the notes, and Carl's one of them. So I thought he was a <laughs> that's, main actor. That's, that's how. Character. That's how strongly I feel about Carl. He, he gets his name yeah. in the spreadsheet. Uh, let's move on to best location. Oh man, this is tricky. <laughs> what do you got, Chris? The rear window set? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing? Oh, yeah. But here's an interesting note about it from mm. the notes that came with them. Uh, so uh, Jeff's apartment window, as far as the actual physical reality of the set, mm. is on the ground floor. They, they dug the Jeez. set down into the ground to create the layered effect that they wanted. But mm, he's okay. actually... So easier to do that than build it up? I guess maybe for the the camera equipment and stuff, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, Hmm. it was a pretty impressive set, wasn't it? Um, What have you got, Andy, for um, best location? Uh, Well, it it is the same thing, essentially, but I'm going to be more specific and say the songwriter's apartment. Mm. It's nice. I like the windows, and like you say, Chris, it, it... Houses are pretty mean party, so... The window's spectacular. Yeah, it's amazing. Floor to ceiling, it Mm. seems like. Yeah. So and I, that's the right pick. I've gone, I've gone a little bit kind of more intimate than that. I like the little 
window bed reclining area in Jeff's apartment that that Lisa lies on for for one one shot. <laughs> Grace Kelly's been on there. Yeah, picked. Yeah, picked exactly. Uh, but no, you you're absolutely right. It's it could be any one of the the it could be the composer's apartment. It could be the whole set that they built. I thought about the bar across the street. That looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it looks nice. I'd go there. I'm surprised you didn't pick the hallway when Carl's standing in it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, oh, I know um, what. Oh, no, well, I know what you're. Mm, it's all right. Well, I'm now thinking forward about what your souvenir is going to be. No, no, no. <laughs> Something just, Carl related, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> all right, so we're going to introduce a new category. Okay, this is inspired by Griff in the last episode. He was desperate for us to get a Vince Fontaine award into the the mm-hmm. running order. And so I am introducing the Vince Fontaine Award for the best moment of physicality. So this is specifically a handspring at the end of a song, <laughs> a stunt, um, some kind of physical mannerism or move or action that a person does with their body. So, yeah, it's the Vince Fontaine Award for our best moment of physicality. Okay. So, uh, Andy, do you want to go first? Sure. Um so there is a scene where Jeff is talking to Doyle and Doyle, as he does often, is to kind of downplaying the significance of the evidence. Um, but Jeff is holding his like scratching stick and he gets very animated with his scratching stick. It's theatrical almost. He's just, you know, the, the stick mimics what he's saying, either in passion or aggression or... or it's excellent. Mm. So the stick wielded, the scratching stick wielding Jeff. Oh, that's a talking good. To, so he's, he's, he's been quite flamboyant with it, which I quite like. That is a good mm. um, first winner of the yeah, Vince yeah, Fontaine uh, Award yeah. for you. Because he's not, you know, there's no flamboyance really in the film. There's not a great deal of physical flamboyance, mm. I should say. And he's just using it, it as an extension. Yeah. Mm. It makes a good noise against his ass. It does. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Chris, do you want to, to mention anything for the Vince Fontaine Award? Well, I, I, I just want to say, like, I want to preface this by I, I'm saying this in the least pervy way possible, okay? Miss mm-hmm. Torso the Dancer. Okay. I'm not talking about, like, Hitchcock getting gratuitous shots of her bending over, but I'm just saying, like, there's, like, the one scene where there's apparently the dance instructor's over and she's practicing with mm-hmm. that guy. Yeah. And she's doing practice dance moves and stuff like that. And she's, I, I mean, obviously they hired a real dancer and she was graceful. I think, is she like eating toast or something at one point? And she yeah. puts her, her, her leg up on the table or the mm-hmm. chair or something. Yeah. She's very flexible. Yeah. And you're right, Chris, yeah. it is, it's a good watch. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. So I've got three that I want to mention. Uh, so we, I talked about it earlier, but basically when Jeff is, stressed out when Lisa is in Thorwald's apartment and getting mm. found out. I just think uh, Jimmy Stewart does a brilliant job there. You talked about it, Chris. Lisa climbing in the window. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, I'm, there's there's no camera trickery or anything. That's definitely Grace Kelly walking, climbing up there and, and climbing into the window. And yeah, and she just and she did it and she did it well and looks great but my favorite one is when she again it's grace kelly of course 
she gives Jeff a little wave. I think she's in the hallway, in the alleyway at one point. Like, and she just gives a little, a little wave mm-hmm. from the side of her hip almost. She just <laughs> yeah. gives him a little wave. And I love that because she, that's a really kind of realistic yeah. thing to do. It's like, hi. Duff is great, actually, because yeah. she gets the handbag and she kind of wheels the handbag. Like, yeah. I've got it. Yeah. It's really yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, so there you go. Vince Fontaine, welcome to the awards ceremony. Mm-hmm. What souvenir would you like? from this film. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Well, I'd like the photo that Andy's so upset about, the one from the race. <laughs> yes. You, can, you can have it. Place. You can have it. <laughs> Good. I was going to pick it, Chris, and give it to you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I, I basically leave the the souvenir award, I leave Andy till last now because he's always got the best choice. The last <laughs> the few episodes. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so you that's it. Flat out pick. You want the photo, Chris? Yeah, that's okay. me. I'm going to throw some nominations. Uh, so <laughs> I like the uh, Mark crossover night case, which has her mm-hmm. skimpy outfit and the slippers yep. and stuff. That's rather nice. I, I mentioned Thorwald's hat because of how bad it is. And like, you mm-hmm. know, you could have that on a in a display case. Like, What's that? Oh, that's mm-hmm. Thorwald's hat. From here. Um, I mentioned his scratching, scratching stick. Mm-hmm. That could be quite good. But I'm going to go with the broken camera from the crash. Mm. I just think that's... Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pulverised. It's wrecked. Yeah, absolutely wrecked. And it's a—it's like a medium format, like Bellows camera yeah, as yeah. well. It's like, which incidentally would have been inside in, in the centre of the track as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is nonsense. But I love the idea, again, in our fictional house with our fictional souvenir room, having mm. that on a shelf, the, the destroyed camera from... Rear window. So that's my pick. Andy. That's an honorable show. mention. My, of course. By the way, I also wouldn't mind having the uh, roped up trunk. Oh, it's big, isn't it? Yeah. You could put all your other souvenirs in. Other mm. souvenirs could go in. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would get you the brandy glasses now. but Thank you. Mm. Not for me. For okay. me. <laughs> I was thinking, I was very pleased when I thought about this one because it's good. And again, it'd be framed on the wall. It would be piece of paper with what have you done with her written on it oh yes see i told you didn't i slightly He's... menacing to see yeah. that in someone's yeah. house i like wow. the way they do that because you know normally in films when uh, people write stuff you don't actually see what they're writing yeah. and they write really quickly and there's like no you know there's no way they've had time to write everything that they've written yeah, yeah. you see him write that whole note can you imagine having that now that actual piece of paper that he wrote that on that would be the coolest thing yeah yeah it's really good it's real good yeah and that scene is great because the camera starts up really high yeah, and yeah. It, it zooms mm-hmm. in on the note doesn't it which is great yeah good by show. the way andy top i mean jess basically hung you out to dry with the oh andy's amazing at this uh, right like yeah. if somebody had said hey you should meet my friend he's so funny hey you should say something <laughs> funny but then it turned out your friend was robin williams and yeah, he yeah. said something really funny it's like he yeah. set you up to fail and then mm-hmm. you succeeded hey. massive well done sir well done thank you it is a good one i was particularly pleased with that that's yeah. the confidence i have in him mm. yes. thank you okay. yeah the pressure mounts for next time eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> The Call Me Bronco coolest look. I have a feeling I know where we're going with this. <laughs> okay, so let's. I'm going to ch- change this just for today. Mm-hmm. Who, which is the favorite Grace Kelly outfit? Yes, because that's yes. ultimately what we're talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like this should be the Lisa Fremont Award. Yeah, maybe Fremont. change it. Don't Call know. Me Bronco. 
maybe it's run its course. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, so I got two things written down for Call Me Bronco Call This. Look, they're both Grace Kelly. It's either the red shirt she's wearing at the very end when she's reading the magazine, or it's the first outfit, the black, mm. uh, black and white $1,100 dress. Mm. I haven't decided yet, so you guys go. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the the green skirt and the white sleeveless top. That is a solid choice, and was my choice until my second viewing this morning, when I picked the the dress that she's wearing when she goes into the apartment. Um, so she's wearing that white kind of summer dress, mm-hmm. sleeveless summer dress with gold leaves or something on it. That. Um, yeah, it does a good job showing her f- figure. <laughs> okay, good. I like it quite a lot. Yeah. So All there right. we are. Well, we're we're spreading three. we're Different. spreading it out. Yeah, because I I I feel like I've just got to be the first one, probably. How sophisticated a look, though, is that green outfit? It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I spent quite a lot of time looking at it, not in a pervy way, just you know, just trying to see what's going on, and it is amazing. It's amazingly well, like, tailored. I'm slightly worried. Um, that's the second time on this podcast that one of us has uttered not in a pervy way or not yeah. in well, the least pervy. I, I think if you've got I, to say that, we might be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing about Grace Kelly, right? Like when I say she's my all-time crush, mm-hmm. it's it's not that she's the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen, right? And there, are, um, there's a line from Seinfeld where he says she possesses many of the physical attributes prized by the superficial male. Mm-hmm. It's, that's not it with her though. There's just an aura or a thing about her that is hmm. just like captivating, that see, goes beyond looks. See, mm-hmm. I think she is the most beautiful woman. Like, I think all of what you said is right, except I think she is also the most beautiful woman and the most beautiful. Yeah, woman. I mean, I don't know if she's like we've had this conversation a few times, mm-hmm. haven't you? I'm, I don't know if she's necessarily the sexiest woman, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of just beauty. She's she's the she sets the benchmark at least. Mm-hmm. So, um, guys, just real quickly before we finish, yeah. uh, I just did a little bit of quick research. Um, eleven hundred dollars in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, that dress today would cost eleven thousand six hundred and thirteen dollars. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> uh, it's good. How about eleven thousand six hundred and thirty eight? Did you say? And 13. And 13. Okay. I don't know why I just wrote that down, but I love it. Thank you for doing that. All right. Let's finish, as always, with closing credit. So this always becomes a little tricky with films with a limited cast, and this has got a very limited cast. And again, I'll say the same same thing I do every time. I'm going credited only, so I'm not looking for uncredited people here. So I have picked Jesslyn Fax. She plays Miss Hearing Aid. Now, I don't know who that is. Miss Hearing Aid is the artist. Is that who yeah, it is? Yeah. Okay, right. So it's the artist. <laughs> Miss Hearing Aid is a, it's so good. Though. It's such a strange... By the way, well, before we move on, I've got something to say about her, by the way. Yeah. Um, when is it... I forget who asks her what her sculpture is. Oh, it's like the delivery man. The like, what does she say? I can't make it out. Hunger. Hunger. Oh, is that what she says? I was like, what? Anyway, okay. <laughs> so 
The funny thing about her, or the unfortunate thing about her is, and again, I'm reading this verbatim, I have not checked sources. Um, so apparently, around 2006, her her distinctive features led to a, an internet debate that her appearance in North by Northwest was actually Alfred Hitchcock in drag. Oh, no. For a second cameo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I oh. thought that was hilarious. Poor thing. Yeah. So what's her name? Uh Jesslyn Fax. Now if you go look at her um her picture on IMDb, you'll see you can kind of get what they're talking about, but again, I don't know where this in de- in- internet debate was or where it was sourced, but um yeah. That's there we are. Miss Hearing Aid. That character made the game. She's yeah. in the board game. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There we are. Okay, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Always appreciate it. Next time, we will, I think, be doing Ready Player One. And uh, very hopefully, we will have Maddie back on the podcast for the first time in a very long time. Uh, so, Ready Player One. Maybe give it a watch if you uh, want to join along. Uh, but don't forget the small stuff. <laughs>